the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse? Then I realize we get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school on the Cover Three podcast. And today we are talking the Florida Gators. Jacob Redner of Swamp 24 7, the absolute best Florida side out there, joins us to break them down. What's going on, man? How you doing, Bud? It's good to be back. Absolutely. So uh, six and seven last year, a mid thirties power rating. So maybe like, like a, a game, maybe game and a half to the unlucky column there. If you look at sort of the predicted record versus the actual record, it, it probably a weird season to cover for you. I mean, they lose six draft picks, like some strengths on the roster, some weaknesses. What, what was that like? It was an interesting year. I think that's, that's probably the best way to describe it. You have this supreme talent at quarterback and Anthony Richardson, who is just a, a marvel on the football field and a real joy to watch. One of the most talented, naturally, guys I've ever seen uh, in my time covering football. And I think that there are a lot of people uh, who have been doing this longer who would agree with that sentiment. Uh, but at the same time, there were plenty of struggles within, within the program. I think that uh, Florida at times felt kind of flat offensively. Uh, the, the, the creativity of the offense bind with who Florida had at its skill positions outside of running back. Uh, at times proved to be limiting. And then, of course, uh, it's no secret that Florida's defense last year ranked among the worst in the country in most meaningful statistics, especially on third down. Uh, and so there was this constant uh, you know, back and forth between the incredible that we were able to witness with guys like Anthony Richardson, uh, Montrell Johnson, and Trevor Etienne, the running backs, and then some really stark struggles that we saw uh, that kind of carried throughout the year and and resulted in a losing record. So uh, a, a lot at both ends of the spectrum, I think, bud. So you mentioned Richardson, who's now gone to the Colts, number four overall pick. And they made an interesting choice. I know Billy Napier said he evaluated all 30 quarterbacks out there that were potentially or, or actually in the portal. Graham Mertz is certainly an interesting choice. I know we're both baseball guys, and a lot of good baseball teams find an undervalued asset from, from another organization, bring him in, and they can find something that the guy does and maybe emphasize that. But, do you think Florida's onto something here? Is there something that he does that he can do better for them than the, you know, the production that he had at Wisconsin? I mean, I, I will say this. I think that Graham Mertz has quickly proven in his time in Gainesville that the uh, 
uh, hype behind him about being a really good leader, about being a guy who was really uh, astute and understood the game of football. That has certainly proven true uh, based on everything we've heard around here. Billy Napier has, has lauded Graham Mertz for his ability to uh, pick up on offense, to understand scheme, uh, and, and to put himself in the right position from a, a knowledge standpoint, using what he has in his brain to be able to give himself the best chance. I think that the biggest concern uh, that exists at the moment is what Mertz can do physically. He is not a terribly athletic quarterback. He's not somebody who presents uh, the you know running threat that Anthony Richardson did that basically made opposing defenses account for a second running back essentially at all times. Uh, that's not as much of a threat. And in an offense that is reliant upon play actions and you know short run replacement type plays in which deception and getting linebackers out of their position is critical. Uh, that seems to me like something that is at least a yellow flag a challenge that this team might have to deal with as it gets into its season. Um, and, and look, I think that there's, it's possible that Graham Mertz just needed a change of scenery and his past experiences at Wisconsin, you know, coupled with his ability to understand football could allow him to be really successful under Billy Napier but I, along with everybody else, I think I have reasonable questions and doubts about whether or not that's really going to come to fruition. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. If, if they're not having to lean on him to to make all the plays, but if, if he can display competency, maybe the drop-off there is is not quite as big. It's more of a theoretical drop-off than it is an, an actual drop-off because, you know, as you mentioned, Richardson did not really you know kill it in every single game. Uh, they lose Justin Shorter and, and Xavier Henderson. Shorter to the draft, Henderson to the portal should we read into that that Florida didn't take any receivers in the, in the portal into thinking that that room that the, the guys they have coming up the young guys are, are probably going to be pretty good you know i i do think that that's part of it i think that they brought in a couple of young receivers who are really talented andy jean was somebody who flashed immediately in in, in spring camp uh, aiden mizell had a good spring camp and then eugene wilson who is a you know supremely talented very quick uh, slot receiver looks like somebody who could play right away, even though he wasn't a part of Florida spring practices. Uh, he, he was not an early enrollee. Uh, that is a factor. There's no question about that. I think though, it was interesting to me to say the least that they did not try more aggressively to add a transfer portal receiver. Does that mean that it's not going to happen at some point over the next several weeks? Graduates can still enter the portal at any time. Uh, I would say that it remains a possibility, but is it surprising that they haven't done so to date? I would say so. Uh, I think that that's a room that is a clear weakness for Florida offensively. I think that there's a clear drop off from guys like Ricky Pearsall, who led the team in receptions and, and receiving yards last year, and whoever is below him, especially with Xavier Henderson no longer on the team. Uh, and so I thought it would have been wise to reestablish some depth in that room following the departures of Shorter and Henderson. They chose not to, which is an indication to me that they're confident in what they already have. Uh, and so we'll have to see how that plays out. That, that, that does seem like a bit of a gamble to me in, in that, uh, yes, it, you recruit really well, and, and Wilson and Gene are, are really physical, or excuse me, really pretty special talents. The odds that both of them are ready to play at, at a high level or, or at least a competent level in the SEC as true freshmen seem to be not great. But maybe you get one of them, and, and Pearsall, I, I think, is a, a pretty darn good you know, college receiver, maybe not a true number one, but I, I, I could see that. It's a little surprising. I, I just, I feel like if they don't make any moves, they probably like what they have somewhat. So maybe, maybe that's encouraging for Gators fans, or, or maybe they'll like, maybe they'll lean more on the tight ends this year. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Is, is, do they have like tight ends they like a lot? Um, I, I don't know that the tight end position is stacked 
from a receiving threat standpoint, I think that if there's a strength of this current tight end room as it's built, I would say it's probably more geared toward the ground game uh, and pass protection, which is important. Uh, I think the big thing, though, Bud, is that this is a team that's going to rely on its run game. We know this already. Montrell Johnson is an all-SEC caliber running back. Trevor Etienne is another all-SEC caliber running back. And the backups they have behind those guys are also quite talented. Cam Carroll is a 700-plus yard rusher at Tulane. He's now a third-string running back for the Gators, essentially. And four-star freshman Trayon Webb is is also a part of the unit at the moment. Uh, This is a group that is going to have to do a lot of a lot of carrying. It's going to have to kind of burden the load for this team. Uh, and so do I think that there's a degree to which Florida felt less urgency to add at receiver, knowing what the game plan is going to be this year and how heavy its ground game is going to have to be? I certainly think that that's a possibility. So uh, I, I think that it speaks, A, to confidence in the younger guys that they were able to bring in at wideout, but also a little bit towards what exactly the strategy is going to be for the Gators this upcoming season. That, that makes a lot of sense. And he, even when you go back to his Louisiana teams, uh, Billy Napier seemed to be the most comfortable when his teams were playing sort of bully ball, you know, trying, trying to push people around, run the football, you know, boot action, play action, all that kind of stuff. Offensive line to me is a position. I know we've talked on the show. I, I have some major questions here. Maybe my, my concerns are overblown. You know, they, they lose Michael Tarkin to, to USC. He immediately takes Ford's spot, who then transfers to Kentucky. So like that seems like a, like a real loss. They lose Ethan White, who transferred to USC, but then medically didn't, I guess, is, is not going to play for them. Josh Braun is probably going to start for Arkansas. He was a backup who left. Osiris Torrance is one of the top, or the top guard taken in, in the draft. Richard Goriage got picked, I think, seventh round or, 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 or sixth round. Like, like he, he's at least a guy that'll be in a camp, right? I'm trying to remember where, where he went. Um, he was an undrafted free agent. Undrafted, excuse me. So, but like, a, like a, a decent SEC player, right? And then they hit the portal pretty hard. I, I think Austin Barber's a, a, a darn good player I mean, based on like the, the snaps he got last year. Am I wrong to think this O-line takes a step back? I mean, look, it, it, they had a, an incredible offensive line last year. Florida's offensive line ranked among the best in the country in, in most meaningful statistics, both in its run game and in pass protection. Is repeating that difficult? 100%. And I think that there's nobody who would tell you that it will be easy to replicate the production that that group had last year. We're talking a top 15 offensive line in most categories. You lose four or five starters. Of course, I would say that it's reasonable to expect the unit to take a step back. Does that mean it's going to be a bad unit? Does that mean that they're going to struggle? I don't think so. I think that that would be an exaggeration. Uh, Florida has two offensive line coaches who are proven to be very successful. Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton have done a great job over their last several years dating back to Louisiana. Sale has NFL experience with the New York Giants, where he did quite well as well. Uh, I, I think it's a unit that has the potential to be good, if not great, uh, but, but with more of a margin for you know, being on that, on that more poor end, I would say. I'd say that the range of outcomes for this group is wider than it was a year ago. When you have an All-American right guard in Osiris Torrance, who's going to be a high-round draft pick. When you have you know, uh, it's other starters who are starting caliber players at other universities in your room, it, it, that is going to narrow the, the window of possible outcomes. This year, it's much wider. They took in a lot of transfers. Uh, there are guys who are going to be playing positions that they did not start at last year. Uh, there are going to be starters who were not starters last year. So uh, I, I think that it's more uncertain than it is heading in the wrong direction. But, but there's just a lot that remains to be seen. I, I think they could 
they could make a bowl game with with, with this offense with that controlled passing game. Certainly, I, I would expect Florida to be one of the slowest tempo teams in in the SEC. If I'd imagine, like trying to you know drag people down, play bully ball, physical, slow the game down, you know, shorten the game. If they're going to do that, the defense, which rated 75th last year in opponent adjustment, you know, defensive rating, that's like one of the worst UF defenses in 20 years. I, I, they, they bring in Austin Armstrong, who did a hell of a job at, at Southern Miss, I thought, before he joined Nick Saban's staff as, I guess, probably the linebackers coach, and then Billy Napier elevated him. Uh, what differences would you expect to see stylistically from Armstrong this year? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's going to be a more aggressive defense. We, we know that already, and we saw it in the spring game. I think that Billy Napier also has come out and pretty much said, we have a guy in Austin Armstrong who approaches the same defense schematically differently. Uh, this is a guy who's going to lean into his front seven a little bit more than Patrick Tony did last year. Uh, Patrick Tony is a safeties coach by trade. He's a guy who's going to focus a little bit more on the secondary. Armstrong is a linebackers guy. He played Division II linebacker, was expected to coach linebackers, like you said, for Nick Saban this upcoming season, uh, and is a guy who's going to bring more pressure than Patrick Tony did. And so I think that that's going to be uh, to the benefit of the Gators because it is not going to require them to burn themselves out in pass rush, but still be able to get effective pressure. And they're going to do that by simulated pressure. Four-man rushes, but you just don't know where those four guys are coming from. Could be a corner blitz in which a linebacker drops back into coverage. You could be taking your edge rusher and putting him into coverage with a linebacker, a middle linebacker, coming down and blitzing on the play. Uh, and we saw that work really well in the spring game. Like you said, worked great for Armstrong when he was at Southern Miss. Uh, I, I actually have a lot of confidence that this unit will take a step forward this season and will not be in the category of historic lows for University of Florida defenses. Completely. So uh, on the defensive front, they, they do lose you know, Gervin Dexter, who, who was a, a decent draft pick, but that's really it. They bring back everybody else. And it, at least in the spring game, I, I thought Cameron Jackson and Caleb Banks, the two transfers they got from Memphis and Louisville, looked pretty good. Are, are those guys expected to be starters or, or heavy contributors? Starters, 100%. Those guys are, are expected to be starting rotation defensive linemen. Uh, if there was one area that I think Florida just absolutely knocked it out of the park in transfer portal recruiting between the winter and spring portal windows, I would say it's defensive line. Cameron Jackson is a guy who was immediately effective in practices. Forget Florida's spring game. We're talking day one, just helmets only, a guy who was immediately impressive. Caleb Banks is another dude who is just big, mean, plays very physical along the defensive front. Uh, and is somebody who really should allow that unit to take a step forward and, 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 and be more effective. And part of that, by the way, 
is the team has more options along its defensive line now. You bring in two guys who are expected to start, reestablish depth in the unit. Guys like Tyreek Sapp, who had to play a whole bunch last year due to lack of depth in the unit, are now more able to kind of be that gadget defensive lineman. You can cater the spots that you put him in and allow him to be the most effective version of himself that he can be. Uh, I, I think Florida did a great job reestablishing depth in its defensive line by bringing in guys who are immediate contributors in Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks. And, and to your point, you know, if you're able to use Watson as more of a situational player, like that's that's a guy that I mean, he's 400 pounds. He's really hard to move off the point if he's not gassed and, and not having to play on those leverage pass rush downs. Moving back a little bit, the edge rush on this team is an area where I have a, a bit of a question about. Like, like I, I think Princely's pretty good, and I'm going to botch his last name like, like I always do on the show. Uh, apologies. But is that an area where somebody you would expect to step up? I, yeah, they're going to need somebody to step up there. You lose Antoine Pell-Ryland to the transfer portal. I don't think that that was a terribly expected addition to the portal or subtraction. I was going to ask, like, did, did he get beat out or something? Because like Virginia Tech I- is not in a good spot. Truthfully, I'm not sure. I think that this is a guy who had some competition at his position, uh, was not looking to be, you know, a a shoe-in starter day one, uh, and probably just thought he had a better opportunity elsewhere and and took advantage of that, which is easy to do in today's day and age of college football. Uh, It it does leave Florida reasonably thin at the position, though. I think that Princely, and I'll give you the last name here, Princely Uman Mielin is a guy who is, uh, you know, he, he, I think he's ready to really contribute. He has changed his body uh, in a way that he is leaner, but still more muscular. I think that he retained a lot of the power he had last year while becoming a little bit more of a, you know, athletic outside linebacker, somebody who you can trust to drop back into coverage and go cover a tight end if necessary. Uh, that's huge. Uh, Justice Boone is a guy who I think has the potential to take a, a, a jump relative to where he was at last year. And then at that point, it's going to be mixing and matching. Tyreek Sapp could come off the edge at times. Uh, Florida could choose to eliminate on certain plays the, you know, the, the, the stand-up defensive end that it deploys uh, and just go with four down linemen, maybe play two, two edge rush type guys uh, with a hand in the dirt. Uh, and, and, and the versatility that they have along the defensive front could allow them to make up for some deficiencies from a depth standpoint at that edge position. But that, I would say, is a position to watch, like we said, with wide receiver on offense. Uh, this is a room that's thin, uh, and, and some guys are going to need to step up in order for it to really flourish this upcoming season. Again, we're talking to Jacob Rudner of Swamp 24-7, the best Florida Gators coverage out there. Moving slightly more back through the defense, they do lose Amari Bernie and, and Ventro Miller, who I thought were uh, pretty decent linebackers by, by SEC standards. Maybe not superstars, but Miller, when he was in the game, generally uh, was pretty productive. Who would you project to, to step up and, and, and fill their roles, and, and how well do you think they'll perform? This, this has to be the year of Shamar James. He was a true freshman last year, got a lot of, got a lot of run, uh, made some starts, was on the field with starters when he didn't get a start. Uh, and this is going to be his season to step up. It sounds like Florida has kind of groomed him to be that next Ventrell Miller type. Uh, your defensive captain, the guy who really understands everything going on around him is going to be the one who calls the shots despite being a true sophomore. Uh, and he's supremely talented. That, that's a guy who I think has all SEC, if not, you know, down the line, all American level potential. Uh, he's a great athlete. He's a great tackler. Uh, he seems to really understand football at a high level. To me, that's your, that's your ace right now. And so I think that Florida is putting a lot of stock uh, in him realizing some of that potential this year. And then you look at a guy like Taraja Mitchell, who they brought in from Ohio State, 
former starter for the Buckeyes, lost his role uh, in his final season, which was at least in part due to some injuries. Uh, and, and if he's healthy, I think that that is an immediate contributor. I don't know that he's going to blow anybody away, but he should suffice. Uh, and then the guy who I'm really keeping an eye on, my wild card going into this season at linebacker, is Manny Nunnery. Uh, transfer from Houston, uh, was an All-American special teams player, was a great you know special teams player of the year uh, in 2022. Just a guy who is athletic, fast, good field vision, knows how to set up tackles in space. Uh, my question, though, is how does he perform in a much uh, higher level role in a defensive spot, not just special teams? Do you know how to read an offense? Do you know how to anticipate what's going to come? Are you a good run stopper? Are you good in pass coverage? Uh, those are things that Nunnery hasn't necessarily had an opportunity to answer throughout his career. Uh, but if his athleticism and success on special teams say anything at all, I would say that that's another guy who could be you know, pretty effective for the Gators. And it certainly could help that they've improved the defensive line so much that you're, you're keeping those blockers off their bodies and allowing them to run free. Uh, Jacob, in the secondary, so three of the top four guys, you know, by snap count at least, are gone. And normally that would you know, be a spot for concern on, on my spreadsheet. But at a school like Florida that, that turns out NFL draft picks pretty routinely over the years, None of these guys getting drafted, I, I kind of mark that as maybe not a big concern, assuming that that some of the younger guys are ready to step up. But I am curious, like, who are those young guys will be ready to step up? It's a great question. Florida was young in its secondary last year with the exception of safety. It, you know, Trey Dean and Rashad Torrance, who dominated snaps at those positions, uh, they, they got the majority of the run, and that will not be the case this year. Uh, but other than that, they, they were pretty young. Kamari Wilson was a true freshman last year. And had to play kind of a key reserve role at safety. Uh, Miguel Mitchell, as the season went on, was a true freshman, became somebody who the team relied on at safety. Uh, at corner, Devin Moore was a true freshman, and before he had a shoulder injury that ended his year, uh, after five weeks, he was a guy that Florida relied on heavily, and I would expect a lot of those names to be at the top of the depth chart this season. So Devin Moore, uh, I'd look for him to start at outside corner, uh, opposite Jason Marshall, who is draft eligible and, and has the potential to be a high-round pick. Uh, Miguel Mitchell, Kamari Wilson, both in the conversation to start up at safety. Uh, and then you have guys like RJ Moten, who's a little bit more experienced, transfer from Michigan, uh, has been in college, has played top five college football for some time already, has starting experience. Uh, to me, that is a day one starter as well. And so uh, Florida has some, some things to figure out depth-wise at the safety position. They bring in a guy like Moten, uh, but, but Napier has said himself that they are thin at safety, they are young at safety. Uh, and that position, you know, kind of how it pans out could go a very long way in determining exactly how good Florida's defense can be as a whole. Um, and I, I, that's where my biggest question is, I think, with this defense right now, is how exactly are they going to perform at the safety position? It's a young group. It's an inexperienced group. They lose 1,500 combined snaps between Dean and Torrance from last year. And among the 10 guys they have returning, excluding Moten, who's obviously not a returner, they only return about a thousand. So 500 fewer snaps across 10 players than they had in the two starters last year at the safety position. To me, that's your biggest question mark. What, what is that going to turn into this upcoming year? Uh, are they going to be able to be more effective than the aforementioned duo was in, in pass protection? That was a massive problem, especially on third downs last year. Third and long was a massive issue. Uh, you know, improving that will, will be the key. If, if Florida can do so, I could see this being a, a pretty reasonably solid defense. So I, I, I guess that if if we're projecting in a positive light, the, the way that this works out for the Gators this year, they're they're only 
I think big underdogs in, in, in two games, the Georgia game and at LSU. I think they're probably three score favorites in three other games, right? McNeese, Charlotte, and, uh, and Vanderbilt. That leaves seven other games that project to be typically reasonably close, right? I, I know they're probably underdogs to Utah and likely FSU in the swamp and, and small favorites in, in, in some of their other contests, but it's not crazy to think that they could go, you know, four and three, five and two playing physical, like lower scoring games where, where they're the more physical kind of like drag people down to the muck style of play as, as they try to let Mertz manage the game. Like that's, that's sort of the vision here for this squad, right? I think so. I, I think right. that there's a pretty wide range of outcomes with this group. I, I would say that in an absolute perfect, nothing goes wrong season, you're looking at about nine and three. And again, that's like, highest end of the spectrum, everything goes perfect. Uh, I also would say that there's a floor of about four and eight. I think that this is kind of one of those seasons, like you said, that has a lot of toss-up action. Uh, there are very few sure thing results. The vast majority of these games, I think, are you know coin flips for the most part. Uh, and, and, and it's just all going to depend on the things that we just talked about. How does Graham Mertz perform when the lights are on in SEC play? How are Florida's wide receivers going to perform uh, you know, relative to Mertz, and are they going to be able to be more effective as a unit than they were last year and, and give their quarterback more opportunities down the field? Big question. Uh, the offensive line, which we talked about, huge unknown. Uh, safety is is kind of an area of unknown as well. So, uh, you know, I think that it's hard to kind of pin down exactly what Florida's going to be this year outside of giving people a range. And, and, and again, I would say that that's between four and nine wins, which is a crazy spectrum. Uh, but really, it just goes to show you how how much unknown there is in Gainesville at the moment. Well, I, I think Florida fans are are lucky to have a writer that actually understands like probabilistic thinking, right? Understanding that there's a large range of outcomes. If you play seven games that are likely within a touchdown of a spread, then there's a lot of different ways those games could fall. For instance, you know, in Napier's last year at Louisiana, he was six and zero in single score games. So we have certainly seen him have you know good close game fortunes before. I mean, just just two years ago. So yeah, I. I definitely think there's hope here because they are recruiting so well. You know, and if they just if they can get a couple games to fall in their favor, that all of a sudden Napier's outlook in Gainesville looks looks pretty good. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think that the focus right now should not be uh, how the team does necessarily in, in 2023 and from a wins and losses standpoint. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, if you can get to seven wins, I would personally consider that a good, maybe even successful season. Uh, the focus to me right now is that 2024 recruiting class. How much can you, uh, you know, how many, how many guys can entice to jump into the pool uh, and, and, and be a part of this program? They have a pretty good foundation at the moment. DJ Lagway, five-star quarterback, is a great player. Uh, Darius Hayes, the linebacker, is a very good player. They have two good running backs in the fold already. Uh, it, it, it is a class with a strong core. Where does it go as we advance into the summer? And then, of course, into the season, do wins buy you prospects? In my opinion, I think they do. Jacob, really appreciate the time today. Everybody go check out Swamp 24-7.